Judge is ready. Hi, Melissa. I feel like we barely see each other anymore. It's true. At least we were able to have lunch one day this week. Very true. Speaking of lunches, I meant to tell you a story that happened on my lunch break a couple days ago. But why don't you just G-chat me? Well, I forgot. So you decided the best time to tell your story was during the introduction of our podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Do you want to hear the story or not? Will it have some relevance to what we're talking about on the episode? Only in that it contains witnessing a truly horrible social faux pas, and that's sometimes how I feel when we discuss proposals. Okay. Okay, what? I suppose you should tell me then. You know what? We talked about it for so long that now it won't be fun. (laughs) That's what she said. If by she you mean me and I'm at the WFSA spring meeting, at which we were discussing 14 proposals. Oh, snap. When we saw how many proposals there were for the upcoming WFCA spring meeting, we knew we had to dust off our microphones and discuss some of the more intricate proposals being brought to the membership. Will our deliberations save some time at the spring meeting? Probably not. Will we offer much needed context and background information on some of the proposals thanks to a very special guest? Definitely. This This is Forensics Faces. Melissa. Hi, Kurt. Guess who we have with us today? <gasps> who is it? Da, 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 da. Hand gestures that you all can't see. It's Elliot Fisher, everybody. Elliot Fisher. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be back. This and is guess exciting. what? He's like real. He's like here at the table with us, which it's, is very strange. It's, and so, he, it's great, though. I know, but I want you all to know that we recorded that intro while he sat here and just <laughs> stared at us, and it was very nerve wracking for me, but. You heard the good take, and that's what counts. Exactly. This is this is exciting stuff. We yeah. finally have a third chair. Yeah. Like, I have four chairs around this table, and I always have, and nobody's ever sat in them. <laughs> we just sit in our usual spots yeah. and stare at each other, but now we have to pivot. We'll have to pivot to make eye contact am, with you. I'm so happy to crash this party, for sure. I'm glad the timing worked out. This is great. It Yay. is. So we've, we've got some cool stuff to discuss, but like we usually do like a catch up yeah. of like what's going on in but our But you can life. totally participate this, in. Yeah, this is always the part of the podcast that John says he doesn't like that much. Oh, okay. Um, because we get a little silly. Yeah. So speaking of John... Uh, we are bartender shout out. Yep, he's getting a shout out for Here's the, the glass of our mules. Yep, <laughs> for this week's cocktail, uh, which he so. now promised to be the bartender for all of our episodes, wanting to be like the episode bartender on uh, the Andy Cohen show. What is it called? Watch what happens live. Thank you. So we'll see what happens with him and that promise to us, because mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. So, calling it out. Do you have any news to share? Like, what's been going on in life? Oh God. Well, state, and then we did NSTA quals, mm-hmm. and then I recuperated for a weekend. Uh, last weekend, I went to Madison and learned just how lactose intolerant I actually am. For a not safe for the podcast story, I'll tell you after. <laughs> the face you're making is great. <laughs> um, yeah, I have mostly been just like not forensicating, which is great. And now gearing up for the spring meeting because it's my first time as a chair of anything and I'm a little stressed out about it, but be prepared for the fact that I just like don't care about decorum in my program assistance report. Mm. Like I kept Amy Geyser's uh, outline from last year, but my choice of wording is quite colorful. Okay. Don't, don't stress. I, well, I would say don't stress about the spring meeting for you because I think sometimes the responsibility at the two meetings shifts from one committee to another one. Mm-hmm. And I think your role is much more important in the fall because you're having to get people yeah. geared up for the season. Mm-hmm. And the spring, people, I think, just want you to be like, hey, I'm here. 
I'm working on stuff over yeah. the summer. You'll hear from me later. Yeah. The only thing I'm nervous about is that I am presenting a round table on Saturday morning. Oh, okay. And I'm doing a binder tech round table. Uh, one, just to teach more people about it. Two, make sure it doesn't get eliminated during the afternoon. And three, just to stand my ground about it. Because as one of its number one proponents, I want to do my part for more people to be informed about it. And I got, oh, the thing, oh, I did do a thing that was interesting. What am I saying? I went to NFA Nationals in Eau Claire, and I got to see Elliot there. Oh, my God, I, that was good times. It's yeah. a yeah. full circle moment. I it did. It's totally oh a full circle moment. Yeah, no, my former student, Mackenzie Berkey, who I've talked about on the podcast 6,000 times, uh, invited me up to come watch her. So I spent eight hours in the car to spend eight hours with her. And she ended up actually taking second in the nation in one of her categories. One of the categories I didn't watch because she was at nationals <laughs> in so many events. But it was just so great to see her and see how far she's come as a performer and to meet all of these people whose names I get to put faces to finally that she's been on the team with for years and like meet some of her coaches and stuff and it was just a very surreal thing to do that and college forensics is so different from high school forensics for me it was like very eye-opening which I really liked but I got to see lots of people do interesting things with their binders was there one thing that stood out most to you in terms of the difference between them I mean other than cursing um I think it was being in the persuasion round because I got to watch her in persuasion and seeing the specificity of topic choice. Like, I appreciated how specific it was. Because she told me that it's going to be a lot like oratory, but they've cut all of the fluff, and it's all information that is there to persuade you. Which I'm going to be bringing to my orators next year, because I really like the idea of being convinced by numbers. I think it's one of the things that's really great about watching John Oliver stuff on last week tonight is that he puts those numbers in front of your face and trusts you to intake them. And that's what persuasion did for me was like, it laid out very specific things, very specific issues. And also like those kids come with solutions right away. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, I started a petition. I wrote all, I wrote this letter up to send to different Congress people. So if you come sign a letter, I'll send it on your behalf about this issue. And I was like, that's great. So I signed a bunch of letters. I signed a petition. I took some like pamphlets. I was like, I'll learn about some stuff. Okay. And I really appreciated that. So I'm excited to apply that to my cool life. I feel like <laughs> Elliot is just appreciating all the gesturing I do. Now he understands how much yeah, I'm moving. Right? But yeah, that was the actual thing I did. But you have been doing one major thing. I became a reluctant <laughs> stripper. The title Cheers of his that. memoir. Yeah, the reluctant stripper. <laughs> the life and times of Kurt Grace. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I ended up being cast in the full Monty at Sheboygan Theater Company, which I was not intending to do. Did you audition for that girl? I, well, I mean, eventually, yes, I did audition. <laughs> but did I show up on the days designated for auditions? No, I did not. Um, they just, you so know, they sought you out specifically. Yeah, yeah well, because they're, yeah, they're familiar with me and I'm nearby. <laughs> and it, they're, like, they're, there are some parts in that show that are very like type specific. And so they needed... Like, they had a lot of great people audition, but they weren't my type. And yeah. so they needed my type to show up. And and it's also, it's, like, deceptively difficult music to sing. It's all, it's like, it's a it's a rock score. Yeah. Um, that's very high. And so some really good singers just don't sound great singing it. And so that was another thing that was tough to find. But they did find a really, really great cast. Um, so I'm in it. And uh, listeners of of this podcast may be interested to know that former WFCA uh, coach and Hall of Famer Tyrone Wesley is also in the show. So I am 
stripping with my former <laughs> drama teacher slash the coach from South High. Oh, uh, like my, I will have to watch one of my mentors and inspirations of why I coach now take his pants off. And Ty Wesley. And Ty Wesley. Hey. Uh, see what I did there? I do see what I did see there. Did nice there. job. I appreciate the fact that you're still comfortable calling it stripping, whereas I think other people would feel like they would need to veil that. And find a different term that. How do I? How do I fake that? Uh, There's nothing exotic about these men dancing. Dancing, just dancing. (laughs) You're just doing. You're just doing some sexy choreo. No, no. Like the whole point of the show is that (laughs) they're taking their clothes off, and it's uncomfortable. And I'm not excited about it, but it's it's such a good show. It is. Like so. There's good music. I'm putting myself in the headspace to like just get over it because it's such a good show. We'll be there. I mean, I'll be there. Yeah, and like I when I've coming. seen the show, and like I don't remember the actors specifically, and so little of the show is actually that. Yeah, that part of it. It's it's one of the. It sounds like a cheesy thing to say, but it's a lot about relationship and friendship, <laughs> and I really like that show. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited, Elliot. What have you been doing? Um, it's the post forensics life catch up kind of at this point in time. Uh, so semester is wrapping up for me really soon. So it's been a kind of the push to get to the end of the school year. But um, NFA also happened as mm-hmm. well. So college forensics uh, nationals uh, happened. There's a couple of different associations, but um, the one that I went to in Eau Claire and saw you there a couple of weeks ago. So that was the the five day marathon that is yeah, NFA. That's insane. It's it is insane. Uh, and so this year it was interesting. I took a student up there and she had a fantastic time and came away very motivated uh, for for me, it was also a, a, a new way of looking at nationals because I'm going to be hosting that national tournament at Oshkosh next you're an year. Because I, I don't, I'm, I would like to say I'm not an idiot. Maybe um, crazy, perhaps for taking on that challenge. But um, delightfully naive, well, right? Perfect. <laughs> right. Spot on. Um, and they were desperate. So you know, desperate times call uh, for desperate That is measures. often how I end up doing things too. <laughs> that, but, yeah, was, was, that's how I say yes to all things in life, yeah. including dates. <laughs> when I when I tell people like, oh, they accepted our bid, and like people are like, that's a, so wonderful, and I'm I choose to omit the fact that I was the only one that bid for the nationals. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. Anyway, I, I kind of went into it with a, just a, a new set of eyeballs because I was having to look at it in a very very different way. Uh, so yeah, that. Yeah, that was been kind of my focus of my time and yeah, just kind of catching up on life stuff in general. Mm-hmm. What shows are you catching up on? Because I've been doing a lot of show catch up. I like was so behind on everything and now I'm back in it. Yeah. And I feel bad that I, I have not really begun that process yet because I, I don't want to commit to show catch up until I know for sure I've got large blocks of time that Fair. I can binge on things. So once the semester is done and once summer arrives, then I'll do a little bit more show catch up. Um, otherwise, it's been a lot of like HGTV. Um, the mindless stuff. The mindless mm-hmm. stuff for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so it's just kind of that kind of stuff until I have more time on my hands. I do think there's one thing that you're omitting that I just saw as you uh, went to stretch is that you got a tattoo <gasps> and you didn't show it to me when you walked in. Yeah. So that happened over spring break. And I guess for me, it's like so like I'm so used to it now at this point that I kind of forget that it's there for everyone else. So, yeah. Oh, that was yeah a- when I saw you at state, you were talking about it and I was like, oh, that's so exciting. Right. Yeah. And now you have it. 
Yeah, so it happened over my spring break, which was uh, late March, I guess it was. So I did have it for state, but like I was fully long sleeved. I was going to say, I think we talked day. about it at CFL Qualls. Oh, okay. I remember oh, talking about it in some going, tab room. Yes. I was going to go get it the next week. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what that's, it was. That's okay. exactly what it was. So yeah, it's all done. I love it. And it's, it's healed. fantastic. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. It healed really nicely. Yeah, within. Good job with your care. Within about a week, it, like the whole like <laughs> flaky process happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's that's disgusting. A little freaky. It's uh, horrifying. But yeah, it turned out really well. The artist did a fantastic job. I'm so impressed with it. Yay. Um, and Make sure when asking, you see him, you ask about it uh, and, and the ev- pain level. And you tell him that, that it had to hurt because it's on your wrist. It, it did. <laughs> Honestly, like there's like the whole thing didn't. But there was one spot in particular that when they when she got to that spot, I was just like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. You'll it's be like, fine. You're too, late. You're too late in it. You can't give mm-hmm. up. Oh, yeah. At that right. point, like she was like a quarter of the way done. And that's when it started to hurt. I'm like, nope, got to nope. power through. Got it. Yeah. Power through. So people have been asking me, what's the next one? And I'm just like, this took me 10 years to figure out what this one was <laughs> right. going to be. I ain't getting another one. Yeah. I it. The last time I got mine was when the last Harry Potter movie came out. That's when I got my Harry Potter tattoos because it was like the end of my Harry Potter mm-hmm. journey or so I had thought. And so I haven't gotten one since because I only have the three. I got one to be a rebellious college kid and then like liked it and thought I was going to do more. But at this point, I'm like, man, eh, probably not. I also feel like I'm a big proponent of tattoo um, cohesiveness. And I feel like oh, I once I start that, I need to find something that plays off of this. And the chances of that happening are probably pretty slim. So I'm, I'll brainstorm yeah. for you. Yeah. I have, <laughs> it's funny you brought that up, though, because I have not posted any pictures of it on any social media Exclusive. whatsoever. <laughs> and, and nobody in my family knows that I've done let's, this. So let's it's talk like, about your very visual body change on our audio podcast. And also, I love that none of us are talking about what it is, so it's so mysterious. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it that way. So yeah, that, like, I like it. Yeah, at spring meeting, you know, people, if they want to, you know, they can ask me about it. Yeah. I'll, I'll like gladly it. show them. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. But the reason that we came out of our hiatus earlier than intended was because of said spring meeting. Because... If you don't know and you're a fan of the podcast and you haven't gone to the WFCA website yet, there are 14, 14 proposals, 14 proposals for us to vote on and look at, which also let us say that when we decided to do this podcast, there were less than that. And then this morning we realized that there were even more of them. So mm-hmm. thanks, Rodemacher. I don't. Well, OK, I don't know if I should say this now. I'll, well, it's too it's late. Too late. Already Welcome to the cast. Um. Per our bylaws, I don't know if we can take up all of these proposals at the spring meeting. There's too many. Not because of the number, but because, because of, of when they were submitted. Yeah. So I don't I don't know about that. Like, I don't know when they were all submitted. Um, but the timing that I got some of them, I'm not sure they all made the cutoff. Well, we'll so find out. We will find out. Because maybe there's something that they just want us to consider in time for the fall meeting? And Who that knows? would be fine, too. Like, if they, we want to discuss it here, mm-hmm. ponder it over the summer, and then take the vote in the fall, Yeah, that's fine. But sure. one of the main reasons that we brought Elliot to our podcast is to talk about the proposals that you submitted, because they're intricate, yeah. is the word that I'm going to use. Because, yeah, that is what happens when your proposals are very numbers-based, right. which yours are. So yes. Before we dive into the actual proposals themselves, let's do a yeah. quick refresher let's for those who maybe have not been to one of these meetings before mm-hmm. or are new to the organization. How does a proposal become a bylaw? So the process is actually pretty simple, Yeah. Uh, which is that any member school can submit a proposal to change the bylaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they just 
this may I may have gotten wrong. I'm assuming it was one week because they just posted them, but is it actually two? I thought in the bylaws it was a three week. Oh, that's the, I thought the deadline was listed as April 14th on the website, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, well, that's pass me that thing behind you. Oh, this one. Yeah. If that's some, the case, I then have, these are all good to go. I have I'm papers in there. Papers in the special can, folio. That I can double check. So I'll double check on that while we continue to talk about the other things that need to happen yeah. in order for a proposal to become an actual bylaw. Yeah, so you submit it by a certain timeline, which we will find the exactness of, and then operating bylaws are changed at our meeting by a majority vote of the membership, where each school is only given one vote, because there are lots of schools that have multiple coaches for them, co-coaches, assistant coaches, volunteer coaches, but only one vote per school, and then our constitutional bylaws require two consecutive votes. So, yeah, that's where that's a lot of us doing our yays, nays, eyes. Right. And since this Doris is... Doris Sexton always opposing, no matter what it is. Or abstaining. Or abstaining. And since these are bylaw changes, they're one and dones, as yep. opposed to constitution changes, which you have to have the two, two for. Yeah, mm-hmm. which you have to do twice. So, yeah, there are lots of them. Uh, the main takeaway that I took from reading them this year was that there are lots of things that are apparently rules that I just like don't think about. And that's one of the things we talked a lot at the fall judges meeting were these things that are perceived like expectations versus what are actual rules. And Kurt is giving us the number that it is indeed three weeks before the meeting. So, yeah, April 14th, I think. Yeah, so the actual language is amendments to all articles of these constitutional bylaws may be made if proposed and published on the WFCA website, stating the specific wording of the change to be given to the members entitled to vote at a general meeting of the WFCA, not less than three weeks before the date of such meeting. And yeah, I was looking at proposals on Friday when we started deciding that we were going to do this. Well, we decided before Friday. Friday was the last time I was looking at them. And then Mm -hmm. this morning I logged on to start taking notes and I was like, oh, why don't we get some more of these? Because there are a lot of them. Yeah. Have we stated that there are 14? Yeah. (laughs) So we'll see which ones actually get talked about at the meeting. And we're going to touch on a bunch of them before we get deep into the Elliot. Yeah, ones. so let's let's do like a speed round. Yeah, speed round. Speed, speed round. round. Let's on do it. Okay, so the first one is actually one of yours, but yes. not related to the state tournament. Yes. And very simple to understand. Time limits for group interp and play acting. Taking you them, explain it. Yes. So the goal of this one is just to simply change the time limit from 12 minutes down to 10 minutes in group interp and play acting. Uh, the rationale behind it basically is that these are the only two categories with the 12 minute time limit. Uh, my guess is that when it was set as that in the very beginning, it was the assumption that there would be a lot of people in those groups, so wanting to make sure that all those students had adequate time to present. Uh, I think the trend has been that group interpret and play acting are getting into be smaller groups. Yeah. You have two or three, not four or five on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Uh, plus, I think it also, it, it's a headache for tournament directors to have to remember those numbers when they're scheduling, and it kind of creates this awkward situation where you have rounds of four and five and then one of them drops and it just like makes a mess of the whole group and play acting schedule. Um, so that was why I just proposed to bring it down to 10, uh, which then also keeps it in line with duo and oratory and solo acting and demo and so many other categories are at 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. it just helps with the consistency. Excellent. Great. Makes sense. And I agree to that rule as someone who <laughs> likes, like, I don't do nearly as much tournament host work as Ben does, but as someone who does help host a tournament and has worked in many tab rooms and has seen the craziness of the morning rescheduling, I think it would be incredibly nice. And I do think that it's still possible for five people to get like their point across and their participation in, in 10 minutes. Yes. I would be uh, curious to find out how many uh, entries actually go to 12 minutes because I feel like a lot of them are coming in 11 or 10 anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's some data that I wish I would have had 
in the preparation of this proposal, mm-hmm. but I hadn't thought of it until the time for that gathering that information. Yeah, it's a little long past. How, yeah, was, we'd have to start this year. Yeah, and ask tournament hosts, hosts to, to submit because that's down. not something we save. No, unless uh-huh. we started doing like carbon copy. Oh God! <laughs> Ballots, you, where then the tournament host had to hold on to all of the uh, critique sheets for you, one year. I am blinking, guy, memeing you right now. I know. You no, that's terrible. Adding a fifteenth proposal. <laughs> Absolutely point, not. I like fifteen is a way better number than fourteen. Absolutely not. All right, all right. The next one is number of individuals in group and terp. Although, if you look at the actual proposal, it's proposal to revise hashtag of individuals in group and terp. <laughs> Hashtag individuals. Yeah. Let's, get that, let's get that hashtag started. Yeah, that's, obviously <laughs> that means that ever. means number, um, which would be to make the minimum number of individuals in group interp three, um, and the rationale for change is that a group should be more than just two people. That's what's provided on uh, the sheet of paper. And by sheet of paper, you mean posting the, on the website? Yes, yeah, the, the <laughs> PDF as it appears on the WFCA website. Um, So, I mean, I think I understand uh, the proposal. I don't agree with it. We're all doing this gesture now. (laughs) Hands on hips. (laughs) I think think this one's going to actually have some good momentum, and I think it's going to find a lot of positive voices when it's introduced, because I think people do kind of feel like duo, group, and terp, what's the difference, what's the point? So I could see... Some people being like, yeah, let's try group interp and making it three or mm-hmm. more. But I also know lots of coaches, myself included, who will sometimes introduce a duo into group interp for memorization's sake. So the kids are still getting out on the circuit and getting feedback and then turning it into a duo. Also, there is the idea that duo in forensics is just like group interp where they have binders. But the well, that's source, like, like the thing against it. Like, but the source mm-hmm. material should be different in them. I think, Mm-mm. at least for well, nationals. It, it, yeah, well, it, it can't be. Yeah, in group interpret. It, um, if it's if I'm doing group interpret that is based like not just in a play. Like if you're doing like a novel, mm-hmm. you can do it. Well, in you group can't interp- do right. You can't do a play in group interpret. Yeah, exactly. So right. if I'm doing a duo that is not a play, mm-hmm. then it's then very easy can, to yes. put in yeah. there. Yep, for sure. Which I've done before. Right, yeah. but. I'm not saying every duo I do goes in group and trip first. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that it's some, it's a it's a device that I've used as a coach. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're being bad at the speed yes. run portion okay. of this. So I would Next say one. that for this one, like most people probably already have their mind made up as to whether they think it's a good yeah. thing or not. I think so. So I think while there could be some good discussion at the meeting, I hope there's not too much. Because yeah. I feel it should like, be like a, sometimes, and we've talked about this before, sometimes it's just like people who disagree with each other just constantly just going back and forth with like ways yeah. they disagree. Um, but like most of the room already has their mind made up. So right. we... We should vote at the point where most of the room feels they have their mind made up, not when everybody has had a chance to say their piece. Agreed. So next proposal. uh, Am I going? Yeah. Voice requirements for radio announcing proposal to add a rule to radio announcing. Um, So basically this addresses the concern that some people have that uh, radio has become too much like acting, too comical, uh, where radio announcers are introducing lots of different characters that do their voices. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the weather and the sports and the local stories are all done by different personas and those personas are different voices. Um, This proposal uh, wants to add the language. uh, Speaker must present the radio broadcast in one professional slash newsreader voice. Multiple voices not permitted. Let I worry. The kids live. 
Okay. And I worry about the can of worms that this is opening in terms of potential disqualifications. Right. So, yeah, I, I think if a, a kid clears their throat and then speaks a little bit higher when they come back, like, is that going to be, yeah. oh, you're a different voice now? So I, I worry about the detail orientedness of this one. And anybody who's listened to the podcast knows that I am in favor of letting the judges decide what's good mm-hmm. and what's bad. Amen. Um, rather than... Uh, creating rules to decide what's good and what's bad. So yes. that's where I land on it. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add? Let the kids live. All right. Uh, <laughs> remove the use of binder as a prop. I'm going to let Melissa talk about this one. This okay. is just reversing the addition that we made this year that allows us to have binder tech. Uh, as you all know, I'm a big fan of binder tech. I think it's really interesting. Kids have responded well to it. It's been used interestingly. And I think that... Yeah, I have outside of the podcast non-appropriate verbs and words to use for this. But yeah, it basically removes the use of binder or manuscript, in this case, as a prop. Let the kids live. Also, let Melissa live (laughs) her best life, which is what binder tech does. Also, I don't think it was like a crazy, insane thing that lots of people had issues with. I asked nearly every person who hosted a tournament if there were any issues about DQ or anything with binder tech, and there wasn't. So There was one question that came up at State. Uh, which the TPP committee will be presenting at the spring meeting. Yes. Um, but it is addressed in one of the other rules rule proposals. Mm-hmm. What are guys, your guys' thoughts? <laughs> I, it's, I, I think it's too soon to be reversing the decision. Like, I would agree. Whether or not it's good or bad, or like we as an organization decide it's good or bad, like it's way too soon to be, with, with only one season of competition for people to get used to it, it's mm-hmm. too soon to be reversing it. Right. I, I think, yeah, I think it's A, too soon. And I and I would agree. I don't think it went, I don't think kids went crazy with this. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe year two, once things, like, once they see what other kids are doing, maybe then it will start to get a little bit more, um, more visible and more kids will start doing it. But I think for right now, like, let's give it at least another year before we go back and reevaluate this. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. No. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, solo acting chair. Proposal to revise a rule in solo humorous and solo serious. Uh, change rule number four to read costume, sound, lighting, and makeup are not allowed. The use of a single stationary chair is allowed. Justification for this is that we are allowing use of props in play acting, which is an acting category. I believe that this is just an attempt for us to be more HSFA complacent, which we are two separate organizations for a reason. And that coaches, it is on tournament host discretion if they have a lot of HSFA tournament, like people at their tournament to decide then to amend that rule in our, like in the, in that category to say that you can't disqualify for use of chair because they're normally HSFA student. And I think that that is compliant enough. And that's an interesting distinction that we should make with all of these rules, which is that really our rules only apply to the state tournament, right. <laughs> that otherwise tournament directors can do whatever they want to be more accommodating uh, to people who are used to something else. And plenty of coaches and tournament hosts too. Mm-hmm. So the question really is, like, do we want to be more accom- accommodating at our state tournament of students from the other organization? And or do we just want to be more consistent in that our play acting and solo acting uh, have different different rules mm-hmm. so. but then at the same time then we're also putting a proposal on the table to put restrictions on the number of people in group interpretation that the WHSFA does not have that same restriction mm-hmm. so yeah I, yeah we don't like being completely complacent we're just like fighting step siblings yeah, I mean I've never advocated for like 
I, I've never seen the point of us like trying to be like the WHSFA for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't hear an outcry from a large number of teams who are doing both who feel like it's making life more difficult for them. Yeah, the There's phrase usually, is vocal minorities. Yeah, a really vocal minority usually brings it up. Um, and I, I think we need to be conscious of that. Like, as mm-hmm. much, I, I don't, I feel like the, the bully saying that like, oh, you know, there's not that many people who are concerned about it because we should take care of and listen to each other. Yeah. Um, but when it is two or three people who seem to be having the problem when lots of other people deal with the same issues, but don't right. have the problem, then I think, you know, that does not require a, a rule change. Yeah. So next a proposal to address restarting in all categories. Mm-hmm. This was interesting because I think this did come up at state. It was a question uh, that that came up. I, I I don't know what the impetus of it was. It felt hypothetical in nature, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it it came from a judge who just kind of like mentioned that they had done something, and then it was like a, an interesting conversation among coaches. It was not brought to TPP. Okay, so. What is the what is the wording that they want to include? I don't. I read this, but I don't remember what they said. Exactly. Um, so we'd be adding to rule five or six. Uh, once the performance begins, if the speaker or speakers asks to stop and start over, the timing clock will continue to run, and the fact of restarting is subject to critique. I think that's the judge's discretion thing. Like there are situations where a student is obviously incredibly nervous, and we want like we talk about at tournaments. The idea of one of the forensics faces things being nice to kids and mm-hmm. the idea of a kid having that like added pressure of there being a specific rule about them messing up and it not going well. And that being like that, like the idea that weighs on me, like as a judge, like wanting to encourage a kid and maybe like it goes really like once I get to restart, it goes really well. And you want to be like, yes, you recovered, you persevered. Hooray for you. But the idea of like being sort of nudged by the WFCA in a certain direction to feel a certain way about restarting makes me sad. I feel, I feel like it's another rule that we're trying to cover up a one bad judge or one bad judging experience. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we we're taking trust away from our judges, which I don't like doing. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? Cause I'll jump in, but I don't want to. Yeah. I, this is, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm amazed that this situation has never been brought up or entered conversation until now. Like, mm-hmm. th- I'm shocked that it's taken this long. Um, I, I like the idea of giving them the opportunity to restart, but I also think, like, keeping the clock going. Because if a student just starts off and then is just like, eh, I'm not quite feeling it yet, let me start over, and there's, like, no punishment at all, that's really not fair to the other competitors in the room. And so I think this kind of helps balance the, yes, you get a chance to start over and do it better, but there's still a bit of a punishment in that your clock is ticking mm-hmm. and you still have to finish it in time. I, yeah, I, th- the thing I like about this proposal is it's what I do. Like if a kid asks to restart, I of course let them, but I do like, it does affect their time, mm-hmm. um, which means if they do great, that's great. But they just can get a two instead of a one usually, mm-hmm. which I think again is right. Like, that's fine. You yeah. know? Um, however, I wish that this was something that was being addressed in uh, coaches and judges clinics so that every judge that walked into a room knew this was the option that they have. Uh, but again, I don't know that it needs to be a rule. My issue they is they would have it, to follow the fact that 
on more than one occasion, I've had a kid get up and start and get so incredibly flustered and so overwhelmed that I allow them to sit back down, let the next student go and then have them come back again and like allow them to have that option. Cause we all have had one of those kids. Mm -hmm. And so am I supposed to keep running time while other performers go on? Or am I not allowed to give them that option? Am I supposed to like tell them like, you can take a breath, but you got to keep going. Like, am I supposed to like, that's where those issues where I'm like, we're establishing it should be left. It should be left to the judge to decide. But I think letting them know that this is an option, option. if they're like the situation that Elliot described, like, they just didn't, they just wanted to start over. Yeah, that they kid can go away. Like, there, there's some <laughs> judgment horrible. there that can happen. Exactly. In the moment, you can be like, oh, that kid got violently ill, and I let them go to the bathroom and come back to competitors later and start over. I'm going to just start them fresh on time. Yeah, judges just Versus, like, right. you know, the kid that's, like, you know, messed up the word in paragraph two and was like, oh, can I just start over? Yes, you may. Right. Your time continues. Yeah. And let them decide, like, okay, I'm actually going to jump right back in. Yeah, now that you now that you bring that up, though, I do worry about the specificity of this. That in the instance, like you said, where a kid gets sick, mm-hmm. are they going to look at this rule and be like, okay, but your time's going. Yeah. Your time like, is 32 minutes. Right, yeah. right, yeah. We I, suddenly have judges coming with, like, three or four timers. <laughs> <laughs> like, one for every individual competitor. You're, like, you're like, doing the lap function on your timer oh, you never use because I don't do anything yeah. involving laps. Yeah. Excuse you. <laughs> uh, so that'll be an, an interesting one i'm sure that'll be a good conversation to have Mm -hmm. yeah uh proposal to clarify creative use of binders so this is not getting rid of it it's just changing the wording and this i know is a result of something that happened at state yeah that will be part of the tpp report no spoilers you can check that out at the meeting um yes um so what it basically does is it takes the language other creative ways off the end of our rule about using binders uh, because that's where if that the language as the proposal uh, states is just vague enough that it kind of overrules other rules that we have about not using props or costuming. Um, yeah, if it, I feel like this is really hard to talk about in vague ways. So I'm just if I'm spilling the beans too early, so sue me. Um, one of the things that came up at state and will be in the TPP report is that uh, Group Interp put their binders in their suspenders for like two or three sentences and then pulled them out and used it. And in TPP, we're like, well, how it says they can use them in other creative ways. So how do you disqualify somebody when that rule? But then I think then it, that wasn't about, to me, that's not about binder tech as you described it. That's mm-hmm. about using your clothing as a yes. costume. Like that's, and that's, the, I feel that's like- the rule they broke. But then there's another rule that says they can use their binder in creative ways. And true, they can so use it creatively. now we have two things that Butting went, against each yeah, other, right. being contradictory. Yeah. But it's, I think so it's different. So this takes have, out that, that other creative ways language and adds, must hold the manuscript in his or her own hands at all times. So you couldn't pass it off to a teammate. Which right, is the thing it. that everyone was so crazy about last year, which mm-hmm. we were like, no, it's your manuscript. My my thing is having seen it at nationals and now knowing that it's a good option. And I had a student do this. He tucked his binder under his arm for a like saluting Pledge of Allegiance sort of a thing that he right. was doing. And that's how he like tucked it away. So the idea of it not remaining in his hands at all times, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's an, it, it 
if there are better ways to word it than getting rid of the creative ways. To rephrase it to say in your possession at all times, like means you have to still have it in control of it, even if it's not in your hands, like your example. Yeah. I don't know that that would change our outcome at that specific question. And again, it's a very specific question Mm -hmm. that came up at TPP. So I don't, again, I don't know that it needs a rule clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause like how many times is that going to happen? But you know, like once one person stuffs a binder in their clothing, then who knows? Somebody else is going to shove a binder down binder shirt. in their yep. clothing, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting. And there's, I think, a larger conversation to be had, too, about what is considered costuming. Yeah, that is a thing because that needs to happen. I, yeah, and I, I try to do that. I some, some very specific thoughts about what counts as costuming and just using your clothes does not, to me, mean a costume. Yeah. And that's something that, as program assistant chair, I answered at two different clinics was like, are people wearing the same outfit in duo considered costuming? If someone is talking about something being nerdy and they're wearing a bow tie or they're wearing glasses, is that costuming? And so it's one of those things that I think needs to be put onto the hand of people who are training their judges and whatnot. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're doing better at the speed round thing. We're good. Okay. Moving on. Multiple right. sources in duo. Are we currently in our rules say that your source material has to come from one place? A single source. Yeah. A single source. And this would open up options in duo. Yeah, I don't care. Why mm-hmm. not? The, my my only beef with this is if for those schools who are doing duo to get to nationals, I don't has the NSDA or NCFL clarified or changed their rules nope. because they still have single source, correct? Yep, which mm-hmm. is why those of us okay. who aren't, because there are plenty of schools in our association who don't do nationals. Oh, so those of us yeah. who do will still follow that rule. Those who don't will not. No, I'm cool. So with that. mm-hmm. that's why I'm like, let them let them live, let the kids live. Yeah. All right, cleaning up duo play acting and solo acting. Exact language on this from the proposal is important, oh, as man, Kurt it's finds so it. So long though. Okay, well then, then give us a good give us a good summary. Um, well, okay, so proposed changes to duo interpretation are to strike um, extreme fragmentation and sound effects from rules three and four. Because people get confused. So the language as it stands is extreme fragmentation of actors into multiple roles may have a severely adverse impact on the ability to develop a believable character portrayal during the limited time available. Judge's discretion. Yeah. Melissa says judge's discretion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the face Elliot just made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then just striking the word sound effects from the sentence about vocal music um, must be incidental and should not overwhelm. These are yeah, these are all critiquable things. I think mm-hmm. if, if someone knows a script and they're like, you just chopped this thing to bits. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's something very fair for a judge to comment on. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think we want to be the regulators of script matching performances. And this this forces us to do that, I think. Yeah, I don't yeah. want that. All right. The next one is about removing references to acting from all the rules where within which it is, which is the idea of helping us figure out what the difference between interpret and acting is. We've talked about it on this podcast like 13 times. And yeah, I don't know how I feel about this yet. I'm interested to hear the conversation from the membership as a whole uh, because it's one of those things where like I have my personal as coach and judge definition of differences between interpretation and acting. As if you've listened to that episode, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's one of those things where everyone is going to disagree. Right. Yeah. Well, so. and even, there's competing theories even in these proposals that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, and in previous years' proposals as well. That uh, I mean, one of the, the rationales for one of our previous ones um, 
was that, you know, it's, it's an interp category, not an acting category. So we should get rid of this. But like, the thing is it's semantics and, you know, like I think about what I do, um, as you know, an audiobook narrator, many people call that voice acting Mm -hmm. and what's being described as interp, not acting is in fact voice acting. (laughs) It's the same stuff. Um, because that's a medium where guess what? No one can see me, but still plenty of people call that acting. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's semantics at this point. And I really, so I'm not, I'm not opposed to getting rid of the, that language in our rules, uh, because then I think it, you know, allow, again, allows the judge to decide. Right. Yeah. Leave it in the hands of the judge. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last one, which is very, just finally figuring something out is removing the, uh, the option of a speaker stand and requiring a center stage beginning in our group interpretation rules. Yeah. Removing both of those yeah, strange, which I'm like, yeah, cool. Done. I don't even think I've ever done center stage beginning anyway. So like for group inter, not that I, not that I know of. I don't think I've ever like, I think my kids just like step into line, which I guess probably counts as center stage. I was gonna say, it's, I think it's pretty much yeah, always starting in the middle. Yeah, I've never, I've never like, I've never blocked it as being like, we need a center stage beginning. Me neither. I did not know this was a rule. I will yeah. admit, I Although did I'll, not know this was. And a rule. I'll admit that now knowing this, I'm like, wait, why haven't I started one off to the side? Like, right? that could be so that could be cool. So cool. And end it on the other side, like to show the passage of time. <gasps> oh my or gosh. Oh my god, I'm formulating it right now. And everyone <laughs> who listens to this is stealing it. Yeah, yeah I think it's one. Those things where, like, say, no yeah. one's the listening. The rule is you don't talk about your good ideas on, on the, the podcast. podcast. You talk like about your we, all right like ideas. When we had to bleep out the name of the hotel that we stayed at for a stay. <laughs> Which, by the way, I know what it is. And for $20, I will tell people. I will punch you in the face before they even say it. I was going to say, I can take this out. (laughs) (laughs) But again, as we were talking about before, it's one of those things where there is a difference between expectations of what a category is and what the rules state. And so, yeah, get rid of it. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But let's get into the meat of this podcast and why we brought you here. All right. Tell us about state and the things you want to do to make state a different place. Now, if you are someone who is listening to this podcast and you have access to a computer, I highly suggest pulling up his proposals because there are like coordinating graphs and like numbers and stuff that are really mm-hmm. helpful to what we're talking about. So maybe like take a moment. We'll all, we'll all take a sip while you are pulling out this proposal. We're waiting. WCAforensics.org. Okay, great. Scroll down. It's on the left side. Nope. Right side. All right, Why cool. didn't we just tell them to pause the podcast? Because it's funner this way. Yeah. It can sure. be more fun. We're already at 41 minutes. Oh, no. Oh, we need time to order Chinese. Crap. Okay. <laughs> uh, so first, yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for inviting me here to be able to talk about these. Oh, my God. The first you're place. so welcome. So this is this is fantastic. Um, I'll be doing a roundtable, I think, at the spring meeting as well to explain these. But like okay. this is a great way to kind of start the conversation even earlier. So uh, do we want to go down one by one and just kind of talk through them? Is yep. that how we want to do it? Yeah. So Follow the outline, please. So let's uh, start with the, <laughs> the fee structure. Uh, first of all is... Um, we, we made a change this year in terms of invoicing and in that we're invoicing schools at the end of the tournament as opposed to like two days before we would print out invoices. Um, so this way, schools are uh, charged for their drops. But in essence, what it kind of does is it just charges them for their entries that they were originally planning on bringing. And now this is our way to make sure we recover that money. Um, it's also kind of a, a bit of a nuisance fee as well. Uh, when you're having to process 30, 40, 50 drops the morning of, um, that gets a little bit cumbersome and problematic. And so this is just a way of like recovering those those lost entry fees of entries that were supposed to be there 
uh, but ended up being a drop at the mm-hmm. end. So that's what this basically does. I don't have any questions about this one. Nope. This one was great. Great job. Uh, we started with a softball. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So this one, uh, next one, the qualification. So I got an email after I had submitted this proposal, um, and this was something that I, I just want to make sure everyone understands first before I dig into this one, is that the motivation behind this was not to specifically prevent kids from participating in the state tournament. Correct. Um, that is an a consequence of this that yes, there will be students who will be left out. But my goal and my motivation was not to be like, you don't deserve to be at state, so therefore you shouldn't go. I think state should be an opportunity that every kid has an opportunity to get to and experience. I think it's a wonderful experience. So I I hope that no one is reading this from a mean-spirited standpoint that I'm trying to stop kids from having a state experience. That was Mm -hmm. not my goal whatsoever. So that said, uh, the the intention behind this was really to um, there's a lot of different purposes that it kind of accomplishes. Um, One of them is that I think it will be motivational to students and coaches to know that state is something that they have to strive for. So it's not just an automatic thing that if you're on your team, uh, you're you get to go to state. I think knowing that there's a goal to achieve just to get to state, I think, can be very motivational for students. Um, It can encourage them to practice harder, meet with their coaches, take judges feedback better. Um, In some cases, halfway through the season, for some students, it might be like, oh, maybe I probably should fix, you know, find a different category Mm because, you know, I don't want to go up against 90 kids and pros every single week to try and get my qualification for state. Instead, I'm going to then move over to a special occasion where the chances might be a little bit better. Um, So that was kind of the motivation behind it as well. I think also by having a qualification, like state becomes more prestigious as a result. It's not just a everyone goes. It's more of a, hey, we all had to work and and qualify to get here. So I think it helps um, earn that prestige as well. So that was the rationale behind it. Yeah. As Mm -hmm. far as that goes. And, And how does that qualification work? So the qualification Under process, yep. So the inspiration for this is based on the National Forensic Association, the college nationals qualification system. So basically, in a nutshell, uh, it is that if you break into a power round or a final round at an invitational tournament, that is your ticket to qualifying for state. So there's not a separate qualifying tournament like there are for nationals. Um, qualification happens at any invitational tournament throughout the course of the year, so long as that the tournament that you qualify at meets a minimum standard of of schools attending and all that for um, for it to be counted as a qualifier. So as long as you break finals, you're in, you're good to go. The Which pro- is a thing that a lot of other states do already, and mm-hmm. you listed some of them: Minnesota, Nebraska, yeah. Illinois, Missouri. Yeah. So other states have much more in-depth processes. Yeah. For getting and then to their HSFA already has a, a qualification for their Correct. state. You have to yes. get a certain number of points in yep. how they do their system, which we learned about working at Antonio's conference tournament at St. Right. Lawrence. Um, yeah, I think that this is an interesting thing. I wish that there was a non like power round way to do it. Like in debate, you have to have a certain number. Of wins, like you, one way to qualify for state is to place top four to tournament. Another way is having gotten a total of twelve winning ballots throughout the season, and that's how you get your qualification. So, like that, obviously you can't change it now, but like that's one right. of my things. I think a lot of people will be asking, like 
So then no other student goes if they've never broken to a final round. And these were so right. this is why we wanted you here, because you could address these questions yeah. directly. Because one of the things that we were talking about when we were having a conversation about it is like as a tournament director, I decide how many people go into the final rounds. And that's not the same from week to week. Correct. So a student could have the same results, you know, end up in seventh place at one tournament one week um, and not break. Whereas if they had gone to somebody else's tournament, they may add, they may put seven people in the final. So there's some, I don't know, some, something intangible about that. Right. That makes me nervous. And it, that does get messy. And because you're right, we don't regulate. I mean, if a mm -hmm. tournament says, I want to put all 12 of these special occasion speakers in our power round. So all 12 of them get a ticket to state. Like there's no way that. I mean, there, there's a way that I could have written that into the proposal to mm -hmm. prevent that from happening, uh, but I didn't do that just because that's another layer of complexity. Yeah. And I'm already putting a lot of complexity into the situation, so I didn't want to add more to that. Um, so you're right. Like one week, seventh would maybe get you the ticket because they took seven in. The next week, mm, sorry, only five got in, so it doesn't count. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a layer of uncertainty there that is just, I, I don't know how to address that specifically. So you're right. That's... Mm -hmm. A, a bummer part of this proposal for sure. But one thing that if this does pass, I hope that this does is maybe encourage smaller schools to host smaller tournaments. Cause it's one of those things where like, yeah, it's kind of cheating the system, but at the same time, like if you're that, if you really want to give smaller, like small tournament opportunities to schools, it could help draw them to you. If you're like, we're doing an invitational, we're inviting these you know, 12 right. specific schools that we want to come to our tournament, then you can be like, oh, well, we got invited. That's going to be a way better chance for my student to power and get their leg for, well, that's what they call it nationally is getting right. their legs, but like getting their slot into getting into a power round. And then I also really appreciate that you did have wording in here for when there are the instances where category is not going to have a power round where you're like, right. all right. Now I figured it out. I got top 50% out of it. I really appreciate that that wording was already there because right. that's one of those questions people are going to ask. And I bet even though it's in the proposal, somebody going to ask. Mm -hmm. and, and you brought up something that I, I think will end up being that will probably change and result as if this if this were to go through. I think you're right. I think this should encourage more schools to host tournaments and even host invitational tournaments. So yeah. I know there are a couple of weekends this season that all the tournaments filled up and there was nowhere Where else for schools to go. So this might prompt schools and, and it might encourage. That it might encourage them to have more invitational type tournaments mm -hmm. where they're like, just like you said, I'm only inviting these 10 schools mm -hmm. to participate in this tournament. The flip side is that if you have a really small tournament, then that means fewer kids end up qualifying. But it does give those kids that are there a better chance for sure. Yeah. The other thing that I, I can speak to, and this is what happens frequently on the college circuit as well. Is that as a coach, if I have a student who goes out in the first three weeks, breaks pros every single week, boom, boom, boom. Um, after three of those, I'm probably going to go to that student and be like, OK, look, clearly you're doing well. You're an amazing performer, but you're also preventing your teammates from getting qualifications. So how about in this week off, we work up a special occasion speech mm -hmm. or you find a second event to work on? So I think there would be some coaching self-selection in terms of making sure and, and yes, honestly, to benefit their own teammates, but it would also help kind of pull some kids out of categories that once you're qualified, yes, you deserve that opportunity to keep competing and you certainly can, but it might get them out of some of those categories to open up some spots for other students. And this makes you think about the option of whether or not a coach, I mean, if there's someone in a tab room and they're like, well, your student broke in solo home finals again, if you were to be able to be like, okay, well, pull them out and let another kid go. Like, 
is that something that we're going to allow people to be able to do? Like if you like you, if you were able to enter a student and you know, they're going to be good and you're like someone like me who does NSDA where you would like, I want them to get those NSDA points, but they already powered. So they're like, they're a non-power round competing student to allow more people to power. Is that something you're going to allow tournament hosts to be able to do or regulate? Or is that just me thinking too far? That's thinking really detailed about it. And I had not even (laughs) thought about that aspect of it. And I guess my response to that is like, and it may just be my coaching style, but like I wouldn't encourage a student to drop out of a category. Cause I, cause if they do my, my feeling is like, even if you start good at the beginning of the season, like if you don't stay in that category, people will eventually pace you. Correct. Like they will keep getting better and you will have gone out. Um, so like if you're winning pros every week, which is a phenomenally difficult thing to do in the first place, I would say just keep going. And so that way you stay ahead of, of the pack. So if, if you do pull out of like, is there double qualifications for state then? You're still just going in one. You would still, you'd, have, you'd have to pick which one okay. at that point. Yeah. So yeah, we, since we don't allow double entry at state, you wouldn't be able to. I mean, you could you could double, triple, quadruple qualify, but you can still only take one entry to state. Per Do you state. think if this shrinks the numbers at state, it will, it will shrink? The will numbers. it be a conversation we end up having in the future? about allowing kids to double enter then at state if they double qualified? If if this goes through, and I think that is the next natural conversation to happen, um, I would discourage it happening at the exact same time because right. we have no idea what the impact of this will be until we try it, if it goes through. Um, and then once we've tried it a while, then I think that the conversation about double entry can occur. But I, I don't think we would be wise to have those happen at the exact same time. To like have a qualification oh, yeah. Goodness, and allow no. double entry at the same time. No, mm-hmm. I think no, no, no. But I, but I, knowing like your you said, state tournament director, yeah. like we, we, no, we would never do that yeah. to you. Thank no. you. I but it does that. seem like the next question that gets mm-hmm. asked, you know? Right. And now that we are on a single site for state, that I think also helps that conversation happen if we want it to happen down the road. Hmm. All right. Excellent. Other and if questions? there are any questions we didn't answer, remember, if you're looking at this proposal, there's a whole little thing that's like Q&A at the bottom and talking about it's, HSFA will, stuff and like all their inc- subdistrict and not. It's incredibly so, detailed. Yeah. Which is snaps. Yes. Yes, well, as job. you as you can tell, this is something that's been rolling around in my brain for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and so like it writing it up did not take me all that long. Um, and so like. It, yeah, it was pretty easy to put together and like, I let it sit for a few days and like a couple questions came to my mind. and I'm like, ooh, I need to add that back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, again, like I don't want people to take away from this that I'm trying to stop kids from from going to state. Like that's not my goal at all. Um, the other thing to think about, too, is that if this does not like I, I believe in the merits of this proposal and I communicated this on an email to Kurt, um, like I believe in this and I think it could be a great system. But if it gets voted down because our members don't like it, like. I'm okay. Yeah, I will move on. You're not on. emotionally attached. No, and I think it's a lot of times as an organization and in any organization, like you talk about things, you talk about them vaguely, but then nothing ever changes. And it's not until someone puts it in writing and has a productive conversation about it that you either mm-hmm. affirm what you're already doing and you vote it down, or you're like, hmm, that could be a cool idea. Like the binder tech thing. We talked we talked about it for in years. air quotes for years, but it took you putting it into a proposal and saying, are we doing this? Yes or no? That that's when people like really became invested in action actually happened. So that was kind of the strategy behind this as well. Hooray. All right. And then moving on to 
sweepstakes points formula changing Yay. at the state tournament, which is the one where I'm just like riveting podcast. <laughs> I know this is exciting content stuff. here, guys. Yes, yeah, so I don't. Again, I don't have the history of the WFCA to know uh, why we have the sweepstakes point system we do have. My guess, uh, and I would love to hear if there is a specific reason behind it. Like, I'd love to know what it is. Um, that it was a time saver. That like back in the day of hand tabulating, mm-hmm. trying to add in finals sweepstakes points at the very end of the tournament would have been next to impossible to do. So they just did it on prelims. Plus then that they made sure everyone actually counted. So what this proposal does is it awards sweepstakes points in semifinals and finals at the state tournament. So a team would earn or a, each semifinalist would earn five points. Uh, and then for final rounds, the points would be awarded based on where you ended up placing um, in that round. So the reason kind of behind this was that um, I think our current sweepstakes point system disproportionately rewards teams that bring 25 full entries. Um, and I think that's a common perception. And I think based on like the comparison of numbers that I ran, it's flat out true. Like mm. if you bring in 25 entries, you have a huge advantage over schools that bring in 21 entries to the state tournament. You just have a huge head start there. Um, so that way, this kind of helps those smaller teams Um, even out the playing field a little bit. So if you have a really strong, smaller program, there's a chance you could crack into the top six and earn yourself a trophy um, because you didn't have to have the full 25 there. So this kind of helps with that system. And now with um, computerized tabbing, there's no time involved at all. Yeah. It's just like as soon as that last event is in, you. you hit print and you're done. Mm-hmm. So it's it's finished. So um, that was kind of why I put this one together. And again, I really encourage people to look at the proposal because it does actually uh, list what would have changed from 2017 if these new rules were in place. And mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see that like in Division One, like the top four four placing teams stay the same. Yeah. Which I think is really, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but there is some change, you know, as you get to right. sixth and seventh place and fifth place. I mean, when the, you, when yeah. you look at who would have jumped from what was ninth place up mm-hmm. to fifth, like that's pretty amazing. And I think, and, and I'm hoping people are looking at this at some point, but when you look at the results, can we say schools by name? Oh, yeah. yeah you'll be able to see them. So like when you look at how Brookfield East did, like they came in with 24 entries. And so again, that would have put them at a huge disadvantage at state, but they had 10 semifinalists and five finalists advance into out rounds, mm-hmm. which was more than the current fifth place team had. So, I mean, nothing, nothing against Madison West at all. Like they're a great team. I love John. They're great people there. Um, but to me, like having 10 semifinals and five finalists indicates that like, that's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, and well, and the amount of points that they gained in that difference, they ended at 222 with just their prelims. But once right. they did their semis and finals, they were at 290. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the idea of like, we, we talk about state from, at least from the Sheboygan South view, we talk about it being like, one of the only times where we really stress the idea of us being a team and working towards those sweepstakes. And then it's like, once you get your prelims rounds, once you break the semis, then you're back to being like all about you and I'll be all right. about you because then those points don't matter. But it's the idea of getting to keep that sort of right. team momentum team all momentum the way through right. finals, which the is kind of cool. Through. Yeah. And so I think, and in the, one of the concerns will, will logically be, won't this just blow up the point totals for large, good teams? And yes, that is, that will happen mm-hmm. under the system. As um, you can see, if you look at the chart. Right. Absolutely. It's going to blow those point totals up. But I think it also then has the potential of those 19, 20, 21, 22 entry teams that it gives them a, an advantage here as well to maybe jump up a little bit so that they can possibly earn a team trophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. 
which is so nice. Yeah. But yeah, if you have any other questions about Elliot's proposal, oh, I would wait, say... I have something else to say about this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, please. You, just, you were, you were just, just shuffling a, your papers well, like you were I'm, done. I'm looking at it and it's like, it's interesting. And like the point, the larger point I was going to make is like division one, you don't see a lot of change until fifth place. But like division three, you start seeing it immediately. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because division three typically has smaller schools. Correct. This is the part that has plagued me for since I started coaching, which is that I come from a division one school where the program just isn't that popular. And so I'm not bringing nearly 25 people. Um, you know, if we want to add to me, if we want to add parity for team size or like the number of people you can bring to state, not that I'm advocating for that because mm-hmm. I, I understand the reasons we do what we do. Um, but if we wanted to add some parity for like the number of people you actually bring to the tournament, wouldn't we treat state like every other tournament where we have small, medium and large team, not division one, division two and division three. Mm-hmm. That's really us just trying to find one time to apply to WIAA stuff, I think. Yeah. But I don't know. That's above my understanding level. And that, yeah, that's, there's your fault proposal right there. For, <gasps> dun, dun, you can, uh, well, and I, you know, but you know, I'm also the first person to say that like, I do have a school with 1600 students in it. And why can't I get more than 16 of them to be on my forensics team? Yeah. Like I have my theories as to why that's difficult. Um, and I won't go into them here and now, but you know, I'm, I'm also saying like, let's not make excuses for those people myself among them like I do have 1600 kids in that school and I ask myself every year why aren't there more kids showing up and they are like more of them are showing up Mm -hmm. but to get them to go to state was still extremely difficult Mm -hmm. for me um, when it starts butting up against all the other things that are happening at the end of the year which having to qualify for state may be that motivating factor yeah like you know you had to get there to to be able to go so actually go and to go back to that point, like I think and I, I realize that I'm in a very advantaged position in that I do coach at a huge high school. Um, we've had a great program. Um, our, our kids do a great job of promoting us. But I think what really changed is once Sun Prairie got to the full 25, like whatever year that was that I was coaching, then it's like you just got better and better after that because there's some intra-team competition there as well. So like I've had students on my own team say, my goal this year is to make the state team. Mm -hmm. And so that alone is motivating enough. And I feel like a qualification could also serve the same purpose. Like Then kids are like, I really want to get to state. That's my goal. Yeah. Well, there you go. But again, yeah. if you have now that are you is everyone finished saying their things? No. If you, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you have questions about this, I highly suggest writing them down so that when you come or like if we've helped you think of more questions or if we didn't answer one of your questions, write it down and bring it to the spring meeting, which happens on Saturday afternoon at Blue mm-hmm. Harbor. Please join us. Sheboygan is a great central location for a majority of our WFCA association, so please make sure you make an effort to attend. It is very important because as you have heard, a lot of decisions are being made. And it is important to be in the room where it happens, that room being the Blue Harbor Conference Room. And so I would imagine you're open to getting email questions this week. Absolutely. If you can get your question answered before Saturday and Mm -hmm. maybe that can then, you know, be part of the presentation of the proposal. Like, and these are some really good questions that came up and here are the answers. Again, I hate to always be the guy who's like, let's cut down the amount of talking. Um, But really, like sometimes there's so so much discussion about these 
these proposals. And that's that, why I, I tried to make them as clear and as detailed as possible. Mm-hmm. You did so an that, excellent so job. So that the time was not spent on asking for details of the proposal, but instead could be talking about the merits and the overall impact mm-hmm. that right. these would have. And that's also one of the reasons why we decided to do this podcast, so that we could potentially do some of that Q&A beforehand and answer some questions for you. Sorry we didn't have the other proposal submitters on our podcast. It's just that Elliot's was more detailed and yeah, there were more really questions needed, around them. Needed some discussion. Yes. Yeah. 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 These so. are these are big changes that I'm proposing for sure. Look at yeah. you. Right? Make, Make it shake change. it up. Hope and change. A Elliot giant Fisher. spider is crawling up your computer screen right now. Oh my goodness. Oh, hey boo boo. Yep. He you can see his little legs. There he is. He's coming for you. Great visuals. All right. Um, yeah. So again, thank you so much for joining us, Elliot. We're now going to order Chinese and watch Drag Race because it's Sunday and that is what we do. But if you have any other questions or concerns, please reach out to us on all of our normal social medias or email us. Uh, listen at ForensicsFaces.com. Forensics Faces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, please give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those ratings help other people find us. More information is available at ForensicsFaces.com, and you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Forensics Faces. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Preferably in that order.